0: I'm just doing a quick recap. Uh, we're in a series um, which is based on a rule of life, um, encountering God in daily living. Um, so it's called A Framework for Freedom. Some of you will know um, about the trellis that we've got here, which is another word for rule of life. And we've been thinking about the things, the most important things that um, shape our lives. But the, I think the most important thing I'm going to say, this isn't about rules and regulations. I mean, it's all nonsense if it's about rules and regulations. What we crave is for folks to have a deep relationship with God. If these uh, disciplines, if you like, in our lives don't uh, move us towards that and loving union with God, we're just wasting our time. If we're just feeding people with head knowledge, we're wasting our time. And I suppose it's a a plea from me. I've been around this sort of stuff for over 30 years. And I need to be honest, some of this stuff I've struggled to embed in my life. And as a result, I'm probably not leading as healthy a spiritual life as I should do. So I just implore you, even if you think it's nonsense, it really isn't. If you put some of these things in place in your life, you'll become a healthier person. Um, and more faithful follower of the Lord Jesus. And that's going to be more attractive and life-giving to those around you. So that's um, that's the background. Um, we started with thinking about roots, which is Sabbath, Bible, and prayer. And Sabbath is something that preachers preach about, but very few actually do it. So uh, that's a confession there, but I'm working on it. It speaks about relationships and restoration. And if you haven't been... Um, I don't think you've been in a family if if you think it's complete harmony, because it really isn't. Those that get close to us, sometimes there's friction, and the Lord would like to help us to solve that. And today we're going to focus on reaching out with our whole lives. And we've bunged money in this section, which is interesting, but it's about work and service and mission. Now... I gave you a little bit of uh, illustration um, about maybe what it is to be out in disharmony. And uh, I'd like to give you an audible um, example of what that might sound like. This is our spiritual walk with God according to the band. And maybe then we get his intervention. you um thought the early bit was beautiful. Can I suggest you go for a hearing test? <laughs> I think, thank you very much. Some of us think our Christian lives are sounding and looking beautiful and we need to go to ask the Lord, the loving Lord, to do a reappraisal. I know we've got quite a few musicians here. I was thinking about the orchestra that sort of tuning the instruments before they play? Have you been to things like that? Like, I don't know how they could do that sort of thing in public, basically. It's wrong, isn't it? But when the conductor arrives, then people come into line. I mean, with what I was imagining was maybe we start deep down, possibly with the pace and the drumbeat, and then other things maybe build on top and maybe harmony. But it's about relationship, and if it's done well, it's about reaching out, and it's the same with our Christian lives. Our reading for today, uh, if you want to follow, is from Colossians 3. It's very short, verses 23 and 24. Um, whatever you do... Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. The Lordship of Christ covers everything. And Jesus, if you like, is not just the Lord, he's also the conductor. He's the one that journeys alongside us as well and maybe even uh, when we're playing the wrong notes might help us to find the right tune. Today our focus is to reach out with our whole lives and we're going to focus on money, work, service and witness. So I've got three points. Uh, The first one, all in service. The second, money is not my master. And the third, reaching out in word and deed. There's a scripture attached to each of those, but I'll be referring to more than one scripture. So firstly, all in service. Colossians 3, again, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. It's the Lord that you are serving. When we talk about work... Um, I'm talking about how we spend our daily lives. So it could be that you're a student. I can see students here. It could be that you're retired or parenting or doing household chores. Paid or unpaid employment. If I've missed any category, I'm sorry, but it includes whatever you do. Um, When shaping our rule of life, we're encouraged to ask Jesus to direct our priorities, ensure that we don't uh, pour ourselves out on the wrong things and serve beyond our call, beyond our capacity to do stuff. We're also looking for Jesus to shape our attitudes in service, especially speaking to self when doing mundane tasks that are set from me, from a slight, uh, well, from on high, but not quite the Lord. This um, service of the Lord embraces everyday life, whether we feel like it or not, and whether people are looking or not. The Lord sees. When I think about wholehearted service, whole life service, I'm directed to Jesus washing his disciples' feet. So if you've got a Bible... I might be reading, I think, from the same translation as you've got, but John 13. So, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John 13, I haven't got a page number starting to read um, verse 8, but it's really 1 to 17 if you want to look back. Peter said to Jesus, Never shall you wash my feet. This is the Last Supper. Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no place with me. I always feel quite shocked by that. Peter was quite shocked by the thought of the Lord washing his feet. And um, Before we're fit for service in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, you've got to let me serve you. You've got to let me, the Lord of all creation, if you like, bow down at your feet. Th- feet and to cleanse your feet. I think he's saying, if you think you can uh, do this on your own, you've completely lost the plot. We can only do the service of God, supported uh, by Jesus, who is uh, the true servant of all. Then he washed their feet, verse 12, and taken his garments and reclined at the table again. He said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're correct. So that's, that's what I am. So if I, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is metaphorically speaking, but you can do it physically if you want. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I've done for you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, Nor is the one sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. So I just want to start thinking about service. About the Lord who kneels down in front of you and says, Actually, you want to be part of me? You want to be a distinct daily disciple and follower of me? This is quite an intimate thing. You need to let me... Get close and take the grub and the grime off your feet. Then they're going to be fit to follow me and to do my will. I was uh, thinking about this. Um, I think theological seminary is quite important. But Jesus, I suppose, didn't do it. He did it through simple, profound actions. I don't know what you remember about your RE lessons. But I'll never, ever forget this image in my mind of Jesus stooping down before Peter and in front of me, offering to wash my feet. Peter wanted his whole body to be washed, so he's all in. It wasn't necessary. But he did need to humble himself in front of his servant king. The second thing, money is not my master. Um, I'd written this a few days ago. You can't turn anywhere in the news without money being talked about. So I just want to start by saying that money is important. There's a cost of living crisis. Fuel prices have gone up and and literally we're burning money. Transport costs have gone up. Manufacturing costs have gone up. Most things are costing more. Uh, Too many people in our nation and around the world are caught in poverty. So I just want to start, and I don't stand as someone in that position at the moment. I feel relatively wealthy in comparison, but those of us who can pay our fuel bills need to have empathy with those who can't. So I just sort of put that out there, but I'm still going to preach Whatever I was going to preach, but that's the backdrop to this, so it feels like the stakes are up. As things get harder in the UK, for those of us with wages above the living wage and much higher, it might be better to compare our standard of living to those in real poverty more than what it was like for us in the UK one year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. 30 years ago, because I can't personally remember feeling that poor then. Let's hope that there's enough money and that we have big enough hearts for the doors of our nation to remain open despite the fuel crisis to refugees. I was approached by a friend of mine from the parish, he's not a member of the church, if he's watching and will watch, not yet. Um, about how he and his wife plan to open their homes to Ukrainian refugees. They'll get a token payment for the government. I doubt whether this is going to cover all the costs for them and others that are opening their doors. But uh, they're talking maybe of saving that money and giving it to those they host when it's time for them to leave. There's others like them who will open their homes Others, let's not forget, I was really struck by this, have been caring for refugees locally for some time, uh, doing this in a different way, but for Afghans and for Syrians through Elmbridge can. And there's places not too far from here that have a number of people that are looking for homes. And I fear, with the emphasis on Ukraine quite rightly, that that's not going to help their cause very much. Uh, Stuart's already referenced the Ukraine partnership film that was sent round to members of the church. I commend it to you. Jen gave an update. We've given over 30,000 in the last few weeks to go towards our mission partner. It's used for a hardship fund and on hosting refugees. Lord, I pray that it's well used and continues to be so. Now, money is important to how we do life. Lack of it to cover basic needs, as I've tried to say, can be tragic. Most of us uh, don't think about currency transfers or um, exchange rates unless we're going on holiday. And we need to earn quite a lot of money, don't we, to go on a foreign holiday. In my former job, I used to um, have to keep an eye on the exchange rates because we earned and the team earned all its income in dollars. So we had to convert them into pounds in order to pay ourselves. But money is being used as a manipulative tool in the Russian-Ukraine war. Russians demanding oil and gas payments in rubles in a bid to prop up their currency. There's um, out of the themes in the Bible, I think there's more written about money than most other things. I found a blog by someone who I don't know. I think it's okay by called Brendan Park, who'd been reflecting on a book, God and Money, How We Discovered True Riches at Harvard Business School. But basically, what he's saying is there's loads and loads. I think he tracked two thousand three hundred fifty Bible verses. On money, about 500 on faith and prayer, and um, there was sort of um, a reflection um, that you can't f- you can't follow. You've got to choose. You can't follow one or the other. It's like there's this choice between gold and God, or our wallet and worship, and um, we have to remember. Um, that money's a resource, is what he says, and not the source. Now, I think in both riches and in poverty, it can have an unhealthy hold on us. Not so, though, in the story of the widow in Luke 21, verses 1 to 4. In her poverty, she came with two small copper coins as her worship to the Lord, the temple offering. Others were bringing far more, but she brought everything that she had to live on. I compare this against the, the rich young man that came to Jesus. He knew everything about uh, the Ten Commandments. And he would kept them sort of diligently. But God, Jesus spotted that something was lacking. Money had a hold on him and invited him. And he doesn't invite all, us, all of us to do this. But money had a big hold on him. And invited him to, to sell or give away his riches and give them to the poor. Well, he couldn't do it. And Jesus says it's, it's like harder for a camel, imagine this, to go through an eye of a needle than rich people to come uh, to know Jesus. And um, uh, what's so encouraging about that, I think you need to read on. Uh, this is in Luke, sorry, this is in where Mark 10. But you need to read on because, and this is where I get a bit of comfort. He says, all things Possible with God like we can let Jesus, wealthy or poor, wash our feet i 've told you before, but uh, as a, a young person, which is you say some time ago, my dad said that if you don't le- learn to give financially said this to me, money will always have a hold on you and um, I just say it to you. It's universal advice. If you don't learn to give out of your riches or your poverty, to tithe, to bring your worship offering to the Lord, that's going to be your idol. And God doesn't want us to live like that. In fact, I find it very liberating, and I have to come back and assess things from time to time, and my giving is never, ever in the same league as the widow that I've just recounted the story of today. Truly humbling to read stories like that. But as we give, it breaks power over us. We're called to give to God before we spend on ourselves. A small coin from someone in poverty is worth so much more in God's eyes than the thousands given by some who are relatively wealthy. But God celebrates both. We're called to give the first fruits of our income, not the last fruits. I want to say thank you to all of you who've given so sacrificially to the work of God, not least Ukraine, in these last few weeks. We're blessed by the regular giving of one-off gifts. Uh, Some give by standing orders, and some have even learned how to, with Holly's instruction, how to work the contactless machines out there. Our attitude to money and giving needs to be part of our rhythm, our rule of life. And with many falling into poverty, our support for debt agencies like CAP and Food Bank, which have collections at this church, is even more necessary. So that's quite a big theme to squeeze in to the middle of a sermon on service, but an important one. The third thing that I want to share today is reaching out in word and deed. Our rule of life um, needs to include our witness, how we share the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's going to look different to each of us. Uh, proactively sharing our faith is sometimes frowned upon in our society. Um, you've probably been told that, like, just keep it to yourself, basically. Don't share all this God stuff nonsense. With me, but there's ways and means of doing it, maybe that are more palatable. Um, We need to know the goodness of God, the good news of God, before we can share it, otherwise, we've got nothing to share. Our servant God of the foot washing and the cross needs to be our focus. Out of thankfulness to God, we have much good news to share. I'm um, struck by the gospel accounts of Jesus doing a miracle to someone and telling them to be quiet and then going off and blabbing it to everyone. I was struck by the woman in the well um, who Jesus knew everything about her life. It was a little bit interesting and dodgy, maybe tabloid worthy, uh, but um, she came to know him and she just couldn't keep it quiet. Come and meet the guy that knows everything about me. We're called to witness to the truth and goodness of God in words and actions. Works alone can't get us into God's family. Faith, as James says in the Bible, without works is dead. This week, well, a couple of days ago, I was listening to an interview um, of a leader from YWAM Youth with a Mission. Anyone heard of Youth with a Mission? Maybe not. A few of you have. Uh, They're quite radical. Um, Quite a lot of people have given up on folks and Generation Z, uh, Generation Z is American. Um, These are young people, but he hasn't at all. He's got tremendous hope for them. He says if you explain to them um, uh, the Great Commission, which you'll find in Matthew 28, go into the nations and make disciples of all nations, baptise them, etc., then it will really, really get hold of them. And they're really happy and up for a challenge. In fact, he's got great hope for the next generation coming through. Um, as he was speaking, he was, he was speaking about revival. Now, I've been in a church long enough to be praying for revival. It doesn't come quickly enough, does it? And for me, I'd like revival to come because God would be having his way and establishing his will. But if I'm really honest, I'm just a little bit impatient. It's much, much easier if God just came and zapped people. Uh, <laughs> Uh, then I wouldn't have to get up and do this sort of stuff, would I? Because it would be God, the Holy Spirit, doing the convicting. But I believe as we preach the gospel, then he does that as well. But it feels like we're doing it in slow motion, doesn't it, at times? And people falling away. But I think we need, with words and actions, even if it feels like in slow motion, to continue to be faithful as we wait as we hope and as we pray for God uh, to bring everything under his authority. Romans 10, 14 and 15 is a reminder of how essential our faith sharing is. It's a scripture that shaped my calling. Um, it's, uh, someone from YWAM, interestingly, gave me a Bible years ago, even before I knew I was being called to ordain ministry. And uh, in the inside cover he wrote the verses from Romans ten, fourteen and fifteen. How then can we call on the one, or how that can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? In this sense, I longed to have beautiful feet. Feet that would take the good news of Jesus to others for it to transform their lives. How I long to be part of a church. I'm not going to get you to get your shoes and socks off. Packed with people with beautiful feet. People with washed, prepared feet, prepared with a servant heart to take the good news of Jesus to everyone they meet. Now, faith-sharing is scary for some, but it doesn't need to be. We have nothing to fear, and as we were reminded at the beginning of Romans, nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to the gospel or Jesus. Now, some of this is going on in our church. I understand quite a cluster of young people from the Well are doing Alpha, Um, If you come on a Tuesday, and there's a few of you come here on the Tuesday, they're doing hymns we love with um, them. It's really just sharing the gospel in a more palatable way um, for folks. It doesn't scare them maybe in the same way as the word alpha does, but nonetheless engaging with the gospel in a powerful way. And others of you will share the gospel in a load of different ways, maybe at college, school, maybe at the school gate. God's desire is that all come to know him. For me, it's the greatest gift I can give another person that I help them to find Jesus. I think when it comes to faith sharing, the foundation must be prayer and it must be love. But it's as simple as just sharing your story. No one can dispute that, how God has been influential in your lives It's essential that you're honest. We haven't got it all worked out. We're on a journey. Why would anyone want to be with loads of perfect people other than Jesus? We don't exist, so let's not fool ourselves. We need to keep it simple. We need to trust God. We need to point to Jesus. And when we do share the gospel with others in action and words, we need to trust that the Holy Spirit is at work. In 1 Peter 3.15 it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord... Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But we do it with gentleness and respect. As I close this sermon series, it's the fourth of four, I compel you to consider and reset your rule of life uh, your former life giving rhythm of life. We all have rhythms, not healthy or tuneful always, and we're not always aware of what they are. The world around us, people, culture, our own selfishness will set the rhythm of life for your life and for my life if we don't let God conduct. There's lots of sections, complexity that produce our rhythm and tune, God invites you and me to recalibrate your rule of life one section at a time. We're joined to Jesus when we let him wash our feet. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. He will have us praying, reading our Bibles, serving, loving, relating, resting, playing, giving, speaking, preaching walking, marching, even dancing and singing and worshipping to a different life-giving tune and drumbeat.